so it's election night, huh? Woo! Oh boy. And you voted, I see. I voted. Have you voted? I didn't vote. Well, yet. Yet. I got a shot. Good answer. You do. Got a shot. Got a shot. Yeah. I, I did it early because I know the KU game's on at six tonight. So. Okay. You guys ready? Yeah. All right. The day after the World Series ended last week, the Royals named Mike Matheny as their new manager. Matheny was the favorite, so the choice didn't surprise. But was it the right hire? Star columnists Sam Mellinger and Vahe Gregorian discuss the move on Sportsbeat KC presented by Big O Tires. It's Tuesday, November 5th, Election Day. Hope you voted. And I'm your host, Blair Kirkhoff. Also, today is the opening of college basketball season. And did the Champions Classic land a good one? It's always fun when Kansas, Duke, Kentucky, and Michigan State get together for their annual preseason doubleheader, or early season doubleheader, I should say. But this year, those are the nation's top four ranked teams, with the Spartans first, followed by the Wildcats, Jayhawks, and Blue Devils. KU and Duke meet at 6 p.m. today, followed by Michigan State, Kentucky. Star KU beat writer Jesse Newell and I will talk about the outcome of the Kansas game on tomorrow's podcast. But first, there's a Royals hire to break down, and let's hear from Mike Matheny at his introductory news conference last week. Okay, Dayton, thank you. Um, thank you for the opportunity to be sitting up here today. I'm um, also going to throw out a few more thank yous uh, to, to Mr. Glass and Dan Glass um, for originally opening up the door that I could be a part of this and doors to the organization, um, and obviously to Mr. Sherman and uh, the new ownership group for for entrusting me with uh, the privilege of, of being in this seat right now, and that is exactly how I view this, as a privilege and as a trust. So, um, you know, it was uh, a year ago, actually, Emily Pending in the front office reminded me today that a year ago today was the first day that I walked into uh, the front office here at, at Kauffman Stadium, and the first time I'm able to kind of interact and I remember that day extremely well for one reason more than any other is when I left, uh, I went home to Kristen and our five incredible kids and I said, I don't know why, I can't explain it, uh, but I truly believe this is where I'm meant to be. I believe that's where we are meant to be. And I, I couldn't explain it as they asked me more about it except there were a few things that really stood out to me and felt that I needed to, to research a little further. Unfortunately, in the advisory role, I was able to see behind the scenes what was going on, and it, and it became obvious that the character and, and the culture that was here is different and, and unique. And uh, that, that stood out to me, uh, a culture of people, a culture of care, because uh, I truly believe that uh, how, you, how you treat people matters. And to me, I could see that happening in every corner, regardless of position, regardless of status, um, there was a, a level of, of people caring about people, people caring about this community, people caring about this brand, what it stands for, and what it means to this community. And I, I just wanted to dive in and see see more. And so after that, as a foundation with uh, the culture, you just build on what I was able to watch this year. And I turned into a fan. I was able to be a fan of the Kansas City Royals all year, listening and watching every game. Um, just in, in, in so impressed with the talent that we have here, that core group, the talent that's on the way, um, the, the guys that, that we know are, are going to continue to make this happen. And, and with that being said, I said it to uh, some of the front office personnel, the, the one word that kept standing out to me was sustained. And, and it wasn't just let's, let's get back and have success. It was how do we, how do we create sustained success? So you've got an incredible culture. You've got 
um, a, a drive and a commitment. You've got incredible players that are on the way with, with a very, very bright future. And, and all these things coupled with a city that I love to come to, always have. Uh, coupled with a fan base that is as passionate as any and loves this team. Um, all of those things together create an opportunity for me to have a really clear answer not too long ago when Mr. John Sherman asked me, why do you want to be here? And I had a why, and, and the why was this, is I truly see something very, very special about to happen here. And I want to be a part of it. So Mike Matheny thinks something truly special is going to happen, and he wants to be a part of it. Good for good. I hope something truly <laughs> special is going to happen as well. When is that When's that going to happen? Vahe Gregorian and Sam Mellinger are here to discuss the the Matheny press conference and some of what he what he talked about, which, what by the way, was in two parts, which I found very interesting and contrasting. Right, um, the press conference may have been boilerplate stuff as press conferences tend to be, but then he had a little little side session with uh, with Vahe, Sam, and some others that was a little more revealing. Tell us about that. Well, one, one quick thought on that is it was, it was very alert of the Royals to make sure to do that, very astute. Um, I, don't, I wasn't here when they brought in Ned um, or any of the other manager changes. This is my first since they've been here. I don't know whether they did something like this in the past, but it struck me that there was more of a need for it than perhaps there had been before because of some what, what I don't want to say what passes for controversy with Mike Matheny, but for, for what seemed to be an underlying tension from some fans about his ability to relate to players and people. Um, and I think they were wise to do it because Mike Matheny was uh, up to the task as well. I, I thought he was really good in that second session. I know, I know the, the broader session didn't didn't um, he didn't enamor himself to Sam? It, it didn't bother me like it did Sam, but I know why why Sam thought that that second session was more necessary. Yeah, I, um, the the part in and look those those initial you know formal news conferences are also formal, right? <laughs> right. Um, but I, I I was most interested in. You know, because to me, the, the negative blowback has been how it ended in St. Louis. And to me, that's how it ended in St. Louis isn't nearly as important as the next 15 months and, and how he changes. And to me, like, that's what I went in there wanting to see. And, and look, he's not done the job yet. So this is where we're still projecting. But I just wanted to see how much of the end in St. Louis he was willing to own and willing to raise his hand and say, my bad. And, and when that question came up, uh, and I guess it was me that asked it, but you know, he basically said, well, we had a lot of success in St. Louis and six and a half years is a long time to, to, be, to be the manager and we had you know, good success with the relationships and, and winning games and all that stuff. That's all true. You know, six and a half years is a long time for, for a manager in big, big league baseball and they did win a lot of games, made four, four postseasons, um, you know, postseason in each of his first four years, but that's not the point. <laughs> the point is he got fired, and, and, and so to me, that was really disappointing of, that was deflecting, you know, nothing went wrong, sometimes change just happens. And it was so different than how he was with the, I don't I can't remember how many of us there were. Maybe in that, six, seven, seven, eight. Yeah, yeah, something like that. He went on, um, I asked kind of the, a similar question of what I did in the formal press conference, and he talked, and I, I timed it, um, or it's, I didn't time it, but on the digital voice recorder, um, it was like seven minutes he talked and he owned everything. 
it was so different than than the first time. And I don't know if he just if it's a chance to think about you know how you answered the first time, or if it was just a more relaxed setting or what. But it was to me, it was just it was two ends of the of an extreme, and I was so impressed with him in in that. It wasn't one-on-one, but in that just smaller group setting. I, I thought he was terrific there. You said this in as many words, but I, I think his best answer of the day was the one to your question, the seven-minuter. Yeah. And his worst was the one that you from your question in the press conference. Because <laughs> it, it, it was borderline defensive the way he said it in the press conference. Uh-huh. And he had owned up to some stuff in kind of half, yep. half-stride ways yeah. before that. But, but that kind of took it back a little bit and, and uh, yeah. it'd be interesting to know how you and me too, what we would have written if we hadn't had that second yep. sequence. I yep. think it would have been different on both parts. Yep. I think maybe you a little more uh, specific to that. Yeah, so, um, it's, it's a weird thing. You hire a guy that has a 555, I think that's right, win percentage uh, and made four straight postseasons. Uh, and, and the reaction almost immediately from the moment he was mentioned as a candidate, at least from what I've seen, has been basically 100% negative. You don't get 100% of anything, but I, I'm struggling to... Like, it was as if he had committed a crime of yeah. some sort. I, that's how I remember feeling. Like, yeah. what, is, what has he done exactly and, that way? And I think, and, and I want to be clear that this is not Mike Matheny or um, you know someone close to Mike Matheny saying this, but just from talking to people in and around St. Louis and, and that were there during that time, I think some of the Bud Norris stuff in particular has been overblown or, or mischaracterized. I think some of the other stuff about Dexter Fowler and him not talking to each other, I mean, there's, there's receipts, as people would say. You know, um, there, there was a story in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch where Derek Gould, who I think is one of, if not the best baseball beat writer in the country, just asked him, no, look at my phone. Here's a text thread with me and me and the manager. Um, but I, he obviously had some mistakes. He obviously, you know, there's young players that didn't feel like they had a chance or, 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 or more specifically didn't know how they could trust him of, of how they can be in the lineup the next day. You know, there, there's some rough edges like that. I also think that when I believe that Mike Matheny is smart, I believe that he's focused. I believe that he's committed. I believe he's a good baseball man. And I think when you have all those ingredients and and your your weaknesses, your blind spots, as you know, that was Matheny's term, get exposed in that way. If you have any self awareness at all, if you really do care about your craft as much as Mike Matheny seems to, you're going to effort to to correct those things. And I think he has in some really tangible, obvious ways. This this is going to be the thing that course we can only measure going forward and maybe even that won't really measure how he embraced that stuff in the last 15 months but to me it it's pretty clear that this was just sort of a, a an incubator of all that these this last year or so uh-huh. that he he really wasn't kind of in a full immersion of self-improvement I mean I, re- I really believe that and whether it was being involved in virtually every facet in some way of the of the, the Royals machine right whether it's you know, being with prospects or being in the training room even a little bit or working with analytics people, all these things. That, that was one plank of it. And then I guess he took some things on himself that were sort of under the Royals umbrella, but maybe his own volition, things like the, you know, getting media coaching. Um, he's alluded a few times, as did Dayton, to uh, leadership uh, mm-hmm. courses. It's a little unclear to me exactly what that was, but mm-hmm. uh, all that stuff, to me, is 
I see it as telling, and I, I, and I believe it. I believe that that meant he was a person who understood he had blind spots and needed to get better. And you've said this before, Sam, with different audiences, but um, I, I, I'm like you, and I know Blair's like this. I think we all believe in, you know, not just second chances, but that, you know, we, why wouldn't you think people can get better and learn from their experiences? The line of his I liked, I'd never heard it before. Maybe you guys have. But I, I asked him something about, if he's actually better off for having been fired, and yeah. use that line about um, never trust a leader without a limp. I thought that was interesting. I mean, I, it, to me, it, it spoke to him em, embracing the idea that he had stuff to work on. I, I, I believe that so deeply in my heart, too. I've never heard it said in those words, but uh, failure is like the best teacher in, in a lot of ways. And, and, and I think that, and this has come from, I think Mike has said this out loud, I think, um, but I know people close to him have said that to me that he just simply was not ready for that job when he got it, just was not. Took over a World Series winner for a literal Hall of Fame manager. Um, he had never, he didn't have any professional coaching experience. Like, I mean, just none. Um, obviously had a, a 12, 13, something like that big league career. Successful too, four gold gloves, I think. Um, you know, he, he was a good player, but had just never managed and just wasn't ready for that job at that scale at that moment. And and I just, how, how could you not think that he's going to get a little bit better? And look, I say all this and I always have to disclaimer it. I don't think big league managers matter that much, or at least not nearly as much as a lot of us make them out to be. But, um, you know, it, it's it's pretty easy to see the strengths and certainly easy to see why Dayton more specifically is drawn to Mike Matheny. I mean, they, they just they see the world the same way. And, and I think that there's, we can't ignore that part of it too. He was the youngest manager in baseball when he was hired yeah. by the Cardinals. He was 41. Sort of kicked hired. off that trend of hiring guys straight out of their playing careers. I mean, you just saw Carlos Beltran, you know, and there's probably been 15 or 20 of them mm -hmm. in, in the years since. Um, he's taking over uh, a Royals team that is not dissimilar from the team that Ned Yost took over. Yeah. Ten years ago, in terms of just kind of where they are in their um, in their growth, but there are some differences, right? This this Royals team that that Mike Matheny takes over has some pieces that maybe you know Ned didn't have mm -hmm. more experienced pieces, cornerstone type players that you know Ned didn't inherit a team that had a guy who had led the American League in home runs um, that had you know Gold Glove. You know, uh, ability and in, in, in his left fielder and catcher. So does does Mike Matheny have a? Is this a better situation for him to walk into than what Ned walked into a decade ago? It's a hell of a comparison because uh, there it's not even close. There are better big league pieces on this team than Ned's first team, and I think the industry consensus would be that it's not even close. There were better pieces in the minor league system when Ned took over. It, it's just a hell of an interesting deal, you know, of, of how those things are going to mesh. So, it's interesting. What, what, oh, sorry. What just a quick say, so what would you rather have? In a way, I'd say this, because I think, I hope I've set this up the right way. The three, four, five guys that you think you can count on right now are guys they would only have wished could be that, right? They could have only hoped that you'd have the American League two-time, three-time American League hit leader. Twice. Twice. In, in wit. In I wit. Um, I, I guess we think to some degree the jury's still out on Dozier, but I think Dozier's got a chance to be a cornerstone. Obviously, if Mondesi can stay healthy, um, Sal Perez coming back. If you knew that Mustakas, Hosmer, 
you know, Sal, whatever, we're going to be that in the two years, you'd take that, right? I mean, you'd, you'd, you'd have taken that in 10, 10 or 11. Um, so in a way, they've kind of got the baseline that they could only hope for then. But of course, they don't have the same amount of things coming up through the pipeline, or at least maybe not quite ripe. Yeah, I, I think this is probably the, um, the more the like cop-out answer. Uh, because we saw how it ended, right? But uh, right. I think I would take the, the, the time before. <laughs> just, right. yeah, just because, I mean, but there, there was more of a depth then. Um, you know, I mean, that wasn't just, and I'm trying to think, was Ned hired in, in 11, uh, May of 11, when, when he took over the interim tag? I, it, I always get those years I think confused. that's right. And, I think and that's right. So it was the year before then, because I think it was in 2010 that, he joined the that, team. that Baseball America oh. called it the best farm system that they had ever graded. And I I think that was a span of 25, 30 years, something like that. So I, I just, I think in general, you know, um, I said this to a, a, a different audience today, but, um, <laughs> you know, a, a bird in a hand rather than, you know, two in the bush or whatever. Right. I would normally take that, but there was just such a depth of high ceiling. I mean, it, you know, Hosmer and Moustakas were top 10 prospects in baseball at one point, I believe. Um, you know, Will Myers was up there. The, it's easy to forget now because only one of them really turned out in Danny Duffy, depending on what you think about Mike Montgomery. But they had a million left-handed pitchers that people thought were going to be terrific. Chris, Chris Dwyer, uh, John Lamb. I mean, they, you know, there, there were others in there. So I, there was just such a depth that I don't think exists at the moment. Well, it's interesting, too, to think of it this way, and we, we have no benefit of foresight on this, but uh, a way to look at this is how, how soon does this batch that they sort of have up give them a chance to be competitive again? That's right. And I... Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it, it, we won't know till we know. And and Dozier is twenty eight. Yeah, something like that. And Wits uh, over so Wits 30, right? is right there. Yeah, Wits in his thirties. Um, Sal is. People, you know, we haven't talked about this much, and we will certainly at least when spring training starts, if not sooner. But Sal Perez is going to be a different player when he comes back. He's not going to be one hundred and forty games as your catcher. They're going to have to DH him a lot. A lot more than they have. They're going to play him at first base more. You know, it, it's it's going to be a different chapter, you know, sort of in in, in his career. So, you know, I, I might feel differently if all those guys, those established big leaguers, were twenty four, twenty five. But really, of those high end guys, Mondesi is the only one at that age. And Mondesi, if you look at the end of the season numbers, did not have the year that we thought he was having. You know, in in May. So, um, look, like I, I don't say this is like being overly pessimistic about the Royals' future because I actually feel like I'm more optimistic than I think the industry consensus, but um, they've got a lot of holes to fill. They've got, you know, Khalil Lee has to be a player, you know. Um, they don't need all five of those college pitchers that they drafted two years ago. They don't need all five of them to be good starters, but they can't afford for only one of them, I don't think, to be a good starter. I mean, they, they, need, they need this thing to get going, I think, pretty quick. What happens first, Royals in contention in September or a new airport? What is it, 24? 23. 23. I like that you're kicking the can down the road right away. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just trying to find my mile marker. But that's if construction goes according to plan, right? So 24. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Who's on the runway, uh, yeah. so to speak, uh, first? Right. You know what? Hell, I might take the Royals on that. Um, I, I think that those I think those pitchers are going to start to transition. Um, you know, I think Springer and Coar 
probably both going to be up May, June, July, somewhere in there. And, and I don't expect, I, I believe next year to be the, I want to make sure I get my years right, 2011 of the first rebuild, you know, when, when Sal came up and debuted in Tampa and they kind of had all their guys. And hopefully there's not a, our time 2012 year, <laughs> right? Uh, hopefully you can, you can skip that step. Uh, but I, I, I don't know. I somehow, and maybe it's just because we just saw it work, right? Like the last time. But I, I think th- I actually would bet on this thing taking. And I think, notably, I think the industry consensus would, if you had to take yay or nay, it would be thumbs down. Um, and, and just um, bec- because we have access to the information, uh, Ned took over for Trey Hillman in May of 2010. 10. Okay. 10. 10. Mm-hmm. 10, 10, 10, 10. So, so, but it was that off season. I think before the 10 yes. season that it was the best, the best farm system in the history of Upright Man by Baseball America or something. <laughs> yep. Or, yep, that's right. And at that point, I remember, um, um, and I think this is probably still true. Um, at that point, every year that Baseball America had said that a certain franchise had the best farm system of that year. Within four years, that team made the made the postseason. So well, the Royals barely made it, it right? Just, it was stuck 2014. Right. Oh, with one exception, I think the Pirates were an exception. Um, but so that, you know, 25, 30 years, they'd gone 29 of 30 or whatever but they, it was. they used their entire time allotted yeah. four years yeah. to, to yeah. get there. They came on like gangbusters once <laughs> they did, though, boy. All right, I think we're looking... This, I was just fooling around with a possible lineup for opening day lineup for next year, right? Uh, Salvi catching, uh, O'Hearn at first, Nicky Lopez at second, Dozier at third, Mondesi at short. Let's say they Alex Gordon and the Royals come to terms on a one-year deal. So Gordon left, Bubba Starling in center and Witt in right with Solaire as the DH. Um, I think that's a. a is that a that, that with the age factor for some of these? That that's something of a lineup in transition. You know, it's it's there's some age there for yep. sure, um, but it's a major league lineup. It's a major league lineup, and what's interesting about your question about line transition, right? I mean, part of that's obviously Alex, but it, it, I don't know it, who the left fielder is if it's not right. at this point. Right. right, you could put Solaire there, I guess, if you wanted to. But it's interesting to think about. To Sam's point about Sal and also just Witt's age, um, you know, sort of the expectation, at least one of the reasons we think that they weren't dealt, is that the idea that they will be part of the next next resurgence. Um, and I, I I think that's just an interesting thing to chew on in, in what you just presented. Like, okay, I, I think those guys can still play. I think Sal will play less. Um, do we see them both here in 2023 being productive? I, if in 2023, I think Sal is probably not the primary catcher by that point, and maybe he's a DH. And you don't see him having a Yadier Molina type of. I don't. Arc. I, I think he's taken a lot of hits. Um, I, I think that they have different body types. Um, I think that matters. I mean, Sal's just a big guy. Yeah. Um, and he's already had um, two knee surgeries, um, at least the one. Uh, and now Tommy John, he's just having, he doesn't move like he used to and he never moved great. Um, I, I just, I don't. Um, and I'll tell you this, I, I don't know if the Royals in their heart of hearts, you know, if, if you were going to map out your World Series winning roster, and this is a game that baseball people often play, um, what that looks like. I, I'd be curious, you know, if, if they would put, you know, I think their best case, their best case would be somebody like, um, you know, Melendez 
as the catcher at that point. You know, so one, one of these, because they've got some catching prospects, you know, one of those guys to yes. rise up. Okay. But what your, your real point probably was really about what do we think that team will do, look like in terms of what it can produce next year. Well, too, and I, look, offensively, I think the, the Royals were um, not great, but they, they did have the, was it the American League or Major League home run leader and let him hit American, American League, stolen bases. They had pieces. Three of the top four triples guys for what yes, that's worth. There were, there were something pieces. Like that. 162 home runs as a team. I noticed that. So um, uh, I, I think that I think you can win with that lineup. I I just don't know. The, 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 I don't know what the rotation is going to be yeah. and who who you know oh, who are we looking at third, fourth, and fifth starters. And the bullpen is really a a, a project. You know what I was I was just look this up just to kind of underline the point that the Royals had a, a good lineup that's do you know they were 14th in the American League in runs I would have guessed they were 10th 11th at least yeah I would have like thought 8th 9th right. um, well and, and I'm and I am and I'm thinking about a lineup with Perez and not Mal- totally Maldonado or whoever yep. else Gallagher whoever else a catcher was, was I mean they, they were just giving away outs for, yep. for a mostly, long time in that spot and, and mostly the bottom bottom three in the order and, and, and Billy Hamilton as well yeah. and I'm not Billy saying Bub, Bubba Starling's going to light the world on fire okay. you know with the bat but you know um, <laughs> and sorry I know I said this about, like the Bob Sutton defense after they fired it but probably hard to be worse you know <laughs> uh <laughs> yeah. hard to be worse than what billy hamilton was I, I but i i do think that you know generally speaking um they'll be able to score enough to be in some games but yeah that that's why these pitchers transitioning from the minor leagues why that's going to be so important you know um it, you know you bolster that rotation and then all of a sudden maybe you get enough that danny duffy can go in the bullpen or maybe you know jake junis they decide is better They're like whatever but they gotta have pitching because there, there were times where, you know, they were scoring okay, but just you know, if if the Royals have a five to two lead in the seventh, you feel like they have a fifty fifty chance of winning. They can't have that. You know, to underline something that you have said, and and uh, and I, I think it's, I think it's really smart, Sam. That, you know, when I think of the Chiefs, no matter who's a quarterback, I think well, Andy Reid will help kind of scheme them up and. You know, there's the Andy Reid factor there. And when I think of Kansas basketball, I think, well, they Bill Self, they got one of the Hall of Fame coach and everything. But when you think of the Royals and the manager, that you know, we got into this talking about Mike Matheny. It's like, he did, doesn't matter. Yep. I mean, it's, it's, you know, just make sure yep. the pitching changes are right. Although I guess that was a that was one of the complaints about him in St. Louis was double the double switch. And, um, you know, he didn't, you know, wasn't, didn't always get that right. But yeah. it's just strategy-wise, it just – Makes less of a seems to make less of a difference. Yeah, especially in the American League, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, For sure. I mean, that's the thing. Like, <laughs> I think Mike Matheny's going to look like a really good manager if, you know, Coar Lynch Singer, if all these guys turn into really good <laughs> yep. players. You know? Manager of the year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he's going to look like a buffoon if you know. And and there were times like, look, like I'm I'm not going to sit here and like stand for you know Ned Yost as a strategic genius or anything like that but uh you know and and every manager takes arrows on their bullpen management I I don't care who they are what city no doubt about it it happens in 30 out of 30 uh but there were a lot of times last year where it didn't matter what Ned did 
you know, like maybe you're making, maybe you make the argument that the other guy should have got the chance, but then I'd make the argument that the other guy would have blown it worse. You know, uh, it, it was just, it was, it was a decision between two bad choices a lot of times. And that's, that's on Dayton, you know, that, that's on Dayton and JJ and all those guys to, to get them better pitchers. And, and, you know, that, that's the bigger part of this. Okay. Let's take a break. And when we come back, did you guys know it is the opening night of another season of college basketball? We'll be back to talk about it in just a moment. Big O Tires is rolling out Black Friday deals now through December 8th. Get limited-time Black Friday savings on oil changes, brakes, car batteries, and more. You'll also save big on tires. How big? Buy three select tires, get one free with paid installation, including brands like Nitto and Cooper. Get four tires, but pay for only three. Right now at Big O Tires, during Black Friday deals only through December 8th. Interest-free financing available, too. For your nearest participating location, go to BigOtires.com. Hey, it's Blair. Hey, we have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners. Unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Stars award-winning sports coverage. Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news, features, and columns we have to offer. And it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate. For your convenience, your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at $50, unless you tell us to cancel. A lot of subscription services won't tell you that. They'll just sneak it on there. We just told you. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star. Please visit KansasCity.com slash offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. Some sports have a kind of a pageantry opening, right? Opening day in baseball is celebrated. I, I remember when the Cincinnati Reds were given sort of the, <laughs> the honorary position totally. of having the, the first game. And the NFL now starts with a Thursday night opener. And college football has that Labor Day weekend where they get mm-hmm. just nights. College basketball kind of just sneaks up on you, right, with, uh, with a couple of exhibition games. And then, and then all of a sudden you're in the season and people are asking, well, was that an exhibition game or was that a regular season game? But this year, and like, look, the Champions Classic has been a great event for now almost almost ten years now, I suspect. Um, and and this year, it's it's just spectacular with the top four teams in one building tonight at Madison Square Garden with um, number one Michigan State playing number two Kentucky, and number three Kansas playing number four Duke. And I know this is not going to. We're going to talk about the KU Duke game. This is not going to have much shelf life because the game tips off at at 6 p.m. today, but I, I've always kind of dug this um, this Champions Classic. I mean, is with, um, with with these four teams, some they're usually all ranked, but to have a top four, that's a that's a hell of a way to get into a season. It, it is a lot of energy, a lot of fun, a, lot, a little bit of you know probing, and yet nothing that's really going to dictate the season. Um, but it's a lot of star power, and and uh, um, short of late night at the fog, I guess this is the kick the kickoff night. The only thing I love the Champions Classic, um, you know, because some years those teams are going to be better than others, but that's a pretty good pool of four, right? Like you know that those teams are going to be good. I wonder what you just said something, Blair, about the the season still kind of sneaking up on you. Sometimes I wonder if that's a little bit there in these NBA arenas, right? It's it's from New York to Chicago to Indy and somewhere else. One probably. year it was in um, Atlanta. Atlanta, that's right. Um, I wonder if you did it on campus. You know, um, it would look cooler on TV. 
And I also wonder if you could add to it, um, you know, have these games at this time, but then bring in other top programs, you know, Carolina, um, you know, Indiana's down, but, you know, Michigan, um, you know, some of these other like bigger programs that just have an all day buffet of basketball. <laughs> you know, there, there's a moment like a day that sneaks up on you in college basketball where they do a 24 hours, you know, or right, right. at least they go, ESPN they go around used the country with, yeah, I don't know if I they do that. I wonder if you could do that. Or. Something like that. It's just, you know, you know what? College basketball is here. You know, we've started, this is us. Look at our, you know, and, and show it off in the most spectacular fashion, which to me is on campus arenas. And, and those four schools, you know, that are in the Champions Classic, all of them have terrific home courts. This is, I mean, this has left the barn, I guess, but would it, would it all just come together in a different way if you just decided it's going to be after Thanksgiving and, you know. I thought about that too, yep. The college football is, a, is sort of, you know, put in its compartment, right? We, you know, we're at that point just getting ready for the conference championship games and bowls. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's I like your point though, Sam, about doing something just absolute all-in energy yeah. on, on the, the whole game. Um, this is about as close as it can get, though, if you get the top four playing in one building in one night. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's pretty, pretty neat. Pretty I neat. wonder if you could go, yeah, like Black Friday or something is, is all, you know, college basketball. If you push it back, I think you can condense the schedule a little bit, but I think you still want the championship game to be done before the NBA playoffs. I would think that you'd want that. The NBA playoffs next year start on April 19th, so you'd have an extra, what, two weeks? you know, to play with. So, so you'd push the season back three weeks and have two weeks on the back end. You'd have to condense a little bit, but I'd be all in favor of that too. My thought has always been, when, when we think about the opening of sports, the, the dates are always fluid. Um, yeah. There's no set date for baseball's opening day. It's just, it just if it falls on this weekend. Um, NFL is always this, this particular Thursday. But to me, with college basketball, make December 1, the start of the college yeah. bat on the on the years that, do, that it doesn't fall on a Sunday, make December first the no matter what day of the week it is, it could be a Friday, it could be a Monday. Make that the college basketball opening and have that's the date on everybody's calendar. When you buy your calendars at the end of the year and they all have the holidays, you know, on those dates, you can put the college basketball opener as one of those. I'm in favor. Yeah. Um, but and and I do in that way at least. Uh, not only do you have a uniform start date for everybody, but you get college basketball out of November and yep. get let college football have its month. Yep. You know, its biggest month, the biggest games. Look at this weekend in college football with totally. Alabama, LSU, and Penn State, Minnesota, and Iowa, Wisconsin, even Kansas State, Texas. I mean, just a bunch of great games this weekend after having crap games last weekend. Um, let, let college football play itself out in November. College basketball begins December 1st. And listen, I know that's 1940s thinking because that's what used to happen. When you go back to it, you look at a 1940s basketball media guide and look at the schedule <laughs> and everything started in December, right? Yeah. Uh, but it's just not the way. So, look, so look, KU Duke tonight, um, uh, Kansas is, is three in, the, in, in both polls, both major polls. And this is setting up to be, you know, a terrific one of those 33-win type seasons over at KU with – you know, get into the Elite Eight, have the fingers crossed at that point with, <laughs> with the KU team and uh, wondering if they can get to the Final Four. Um, it's going to be a little bit, of, not a little bit, there's a cloud hanging over, hanging over the program all year until there's some resolution with the, with the NCAA uh, investigation. Is that going to uh, be part of the narrative that follows Kansas all year? 
I, I think so, in some form or another, right? And one of the ways we know it will be will be the uh, the trite, trite but true, I guess is a way to put it, uh, a way that teams and coaches will appropriate that kind of thing in their favor, right? So clearly Kansas will, I don't know how much they'll publicly say it, but maybe Bill will allude to it a little bit, but I mean, they'll they'll absolutely make this about, you know, it's just us, everybody's out to get us, NCAA's out to get us, you know, and it'll work, right? I mean, it'll, it'll, it'll trigger something, I think, inside. I mean, I guess you can overplay that hand, but it wouldn't work if you didn't have a really great team to begin with, too. And I, I think this is going to be a really fascinating season for KU, in part because that cloud is there. Well, um, they've got two of the, you know, two, two players in, in Yudoka Azubuki and, and Devon Dotson who were on everybody's preseason watch list, preseason conference, you know, all conference. A um, couple of good guys to build a team around and kind of in, in – uh, more Bill Self, Kansas fashion, a true post player in Azubuki. And, you know, with the with the return of Silvio de Souza, you know, I guess that's that's sort of the mystery of this team, right? He wants to be able to play both of those guys, but let's, you got to figure out if they work together on the floor and together. Um, I, I don't know if that's going to be the case, but it looks like a deep Kansas team and – um, guys who got a lot of minutes last year might not get as many minutes this year. We already know that Mitch Lightfoot, the plan for him is to redshirt this year, and he was he was getting a lot of minutes a year ago. So, um, as uh, you know, is this you know, is this shaping up as a as a Final Four type year for KU? I mean, yeah, yeah uh, not, they, they've got enough guys, right? Uh, you know, it's interesting if the strength, if one of the strengths of this team is is the post depth, you know the the current reality of college basketball might make it hard for Kansas to use that post depth because one one of the challenges, and I think Bill Self has, has talked about this out loud um, publicly, is you know if if you you can smother teams with Azubuke and either you know Silvio or uh, McCormick, yep. you know just two of those three on the floor at the same time, and you're just going to manhandle people inside. But on the flip. Now one of those guys has to guard a guard, you know, because a lot of teams are going to go four, four, four outside of one. It's just an interesting, you know, kind of strategic, you know, kind of deal like that. But it's um, it's shaping up to be a hell of an interesting season, not just because of the talent, you know, Devon Dotson coming back. I mean, you know, th- there's just not a lot of teams that have a point guard with some experience, you know, like Dotson and, and a post guy. Um, I know he's still just 20. I think he's still 20. Um, Azubuke, but you know, a senior, uh, you know, coming back, and and they've got both of that, and and this cloud, and it's absolutely a cloud, and you know, there's a hundred percent chance. By the way, I didn't think about this until just now, but like every broadcast, you know, KU plays a lot of national games, obviously, but that's going to be a thing that KU absolutely. fans are just sick of hearing about. You know, it's going to be an over under, you know, first first TV timeout or after are they going to mention that? But it's it's going to be part of the story. It, it is part of the narrative. Every yeah. time I remember last year when Silvio de Souza was sitting on the bench, every time they went to, yeah. you know, the, the camera went to him, he yep. had to talk about why he was yep. sitting out in, at the moment. Of course he was, you know, he got his suspension uh, reduced to the one season, which was last year. But yeah, I've talked to Fran Fraschilla about this and he, you know, he says, yes, that's, you, you, get, you can't ignore it. You're, you're going to talk about it. So yeah. one, one key player, I mean, just not to get too far into the weeds, but one, Key player for them is going to be um, Moss, Isaiah Moss, have just because they, they need shooting. Yep. You know, he's um, the shooter. they need shooters to make those post people matter. You know, to to bring those other, you know, bring the defenders out. That's that's a 
that's going to be a huge part. And he, is he playing tonight? I well, I, yeah, I heard he was playing he's gonna in play. a, on a limited basis. Yeah. So uh, yeah, he's got the uh, he's been injured, and uh-huh. it's been throughout the preseason. Yep. Um, he was he's the transfer from Iowa. From Iowa, right? So and, and he would be their their best shooter um, on, on the floor whenever he's on there. So uh, interesting that the three point lines move back now. Uh, yeah. International distance that'll be that'll be fun to see and see what impact that has on the on the college game. But it's also opening night for Kansas State. Wildcats are home to North Dakota State. You think, ah, rollover. North Dakota State was in the tournament last year, is favored to win the Summit, and returns all five starters. This is a game that, you know, if you, you know, K-State's not in the preseason top 25, but if they were, you know, this would be a red alert, upset alert type of game. Um, and Kansas State's having to go forward without Dean Wade and Barry Brown and – you know, but they, they have nice pieces as well with um, Cartier Jada and, and uh, Xavier Sneed. Um, the, 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 I think he, I think Kellis tells me it's the Juwan Jackson, the freshman guard, is is um, is someone who's exciting the, the the fans there. So Kansas State picked ninth. Maybe maybe you know, maybe this is one of those situations with similar to Missouri, which was picked thirteenth in the SEC, where we think that this is a better team than next to last in the conference, don't you think? I, I think that's true, and I and the, I guess the question will come to be whether it's because we think we know a little better than they do from outside, or it turns out uh, we just are were we a blinded little, by... Yeah, uh, yeah. But you got to like... The, I, think, I think we can like the pieces. I do think, you know, Barry Brown, for instance, is kind of a funny thing to think about. Like, he, he's not just a loss of numbers, right? I mean, he's he was kind of the glue guy in a lot of different ways, so that... It's hard to know the intangible aspect of not having him back, too. I think that's part of that. But meanwhile, I mean, Sneed and Jada are two guys that in particular that I, I, I've always really liked. And now they're, they're here and, and they've got to be, you know, more than they've been and more consistently than they've been. Um, but I, 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 I think they're, they're going to be in that top half of the, of the big 12. I never, I'll never forget the Kentucky game that you and I covered in Atlanta in the tournament a couple of years oh. ago where Xavier Sneed just came up huge in that game, 23 points and was the best player on the floor. He was. He's and a stud. He is. Yeah. He's God, a stud. I think there's a stud in there waiting to yep. to come out on a consistent basis. I remember his freshman year, I happened to be working on this thing where I, I went and watched a lot of K-State practices, and I just remember looking at that guy. You is so raw, but I just remember thinking, God, if he stays around, you know, um, you know, junior, senior year, he's going to be a monster. And I... Here he is, you know, um, and I, I think that guy is in there. I think he can shoot. I think he's a good athlete. I think he's a hell of a defender, uh, probably underrated defensively. Barry Brown got, you know, deservedly so. Uh, you know, most of the attention is, is a shutdown guy last year. But I, I think Xavier Sneed is, you know, he, he's an all-conference, you know, type of talent. I think – and, and <laughs> you look, the same way that um, – Consul Martin said, if, if we're the 13th best team in the SEC, this is the best league in college basketball history. If K-State is the second to worst team in the Big 12, I mean, that's a hell of a it's league. It's a great, great conference. You know, as well. And uh, the three of us spoke at the, at the Tiger Club of Kansas City earlier today, and we talked a little bit about Tiger basketball, which starts on Wednesday. They play Wednesday and Friday this week to open the season. And we spent a lot of time talking about uh, Jeremiah Tillman and, and Drew Smith as – Key components. What we didn't talk about, though, was they've got some experience back in uh, in, in Pickett and Xavier Pinson and uh, um, Watson, the the sophomore guards. That's that's a nice little um, you know. And so we talk and bring Tillman back. 
they, they've got a nice little foundation here of experience that I, I think is getting overlooked by those that um, that do the prognosticating. Yeah, I think that's right. And it's funny, it is, you know, some certain amount of experience, but it's sort of young experience too. So maybe that's less than overwhelming that way for a team that, you know, has not been what you hope it would have been. But um, I think the number that, did we agree on this? It's seven of the top nine scorers back. And then this, this sort of Drew Smith, for lack of a better term, X factor. I mean, I think I think people think he he can he can be a difference maker in how everything else falls. And if Jeremiah Tillman becomes the guy that he almost has been several times, but not quite, I, I think that that uh, they 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 can do a lot of different things. They can I, th- I think they could beat a lot of different ways. I think they'll be good defensively. Um, just like K State a little bit though, I feel like it's a little bit of like pieces that we don't quite know how they mesh. Whereas with Kansas, I think we, we have some sense of how it'll mesh, although a lot of these guys haven't been together before. But um, I, I think that's kind of the mystery of, of Missouri is getting it to gel. I thought it was interesting, too, in their one exhibition game, they, uh, they were close with Central Missouri at halftime, ended up running away in the second half. But, but Kobe Brown started that game and not, um, not the uh, Trey Jackson, the, the, the more ballyhooed freshman. So it'll um, be interesting to see what Missouri rolls out there for a starting lineup on Wednesday. Sam Ellinger, Vahe Gregorian, thanks so much for stopping by and chatting sports in Kansas City. Pleasure, Blair. That's the show. Links to the stories written about Matheny and the Royals can be found in the show notes on the True Blue app, kansascity.com, and the print editions of the Kansas City Star. Thanks to Leah Becerra for producing today's show, and congratulations, Leah, on the good time in last weekend's half marathon. That's a marathon and a half marathon in three weeks for Leah. Time to slow down a bit. Where you can rate and review Sportsbeat KC, please do that. We'd love to hear your comments. And we'll be back on Wednesday with another Sportsbeat KC where we talk sports in Kansas City. Thanks for listening.